Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 1? We're going to read verses 1 to 14. Today is Advent. We're coming up to Christmas, leading up to Christmas. Advent is the season of waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. And so our sermon text this morning is taken from the biography of Jesus written by the Apostle John. And you remember that John is the particularly loved disciple. He's a disciple that Jesus loved more than anybody else. And also that John is the man who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the Apocalypse, Revelation. And so canon, the canon of God's Word closes with John. And in many ways you can say that John's Gospel closes the account of Christ's life. And John's gospel does sort of bats clean up, one, two, three, four. It bats clean up by giving us maybe the more uh, mystical, the more spiritual understanding, whereas the first three gospels are more uh, sort of objective, sort of the details and facts. And you can see this right away at the beginning of chapter 1 where we go off into mystical areas. We go off into a language that almost seems to be riddles. Now, why did John write his gospel? Well, he tells us at the end in John 20, 31, why he wrote it. He says, these, meaning the things in his book, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote it that you'll believe and then that you'll have life. That must mean 
that if you don't believe what is written in this book, you don't have life. Now, you might think that that's a stupid thing to say because any idiot knows it. But it's not really a stupid thing to say in a university community, is it? You know, one of the discussions we've been having frequently in the elders' meetings recently is whether or not somebody should have to believe this book to be a member. Can we have people be members who think that this is the book of man? Or do they need to believe that it's the book of God? And right now, a few of you are thinking, well, that's rather high-handed of you. You know, we're just saying that we have problems with just a few things in this book. And so the elders have been discussing how many things somebody can have problems with and still be a member of the church. And, of course, you know the problem is that once you start talking about what you have problems with in Scripture, the shortest path to any man's problems with Scripture is always the depravity of that man's heart. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, when, when, when all's said and done, everything's, everything's been said. The place we have problems with Scripture is, is the place that our heart is wicked and will not bow to God. And you say, oh, no, 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 the place I have problems is actually the account of creation. The first couple of chapters of Genesis, it has nothing to do with my sin. It has to do with an ancient society which in some sort of, you know, some sort of foundational level left us a record of its understanding of transcendent history as as a particular people group, you know, did its best. And Genesis 1 to 3 is obviously that kind of gnarly kind of ancient kind of patriarchal kind of crap. And I mean, come on, it has nothing to do with my sin. Any idiot can see it. And so I say, well, where do you, where do you work? And you say, well, well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. I say, come on, just humor me, answer my question. Where do you work? Well, I'm a professor at the university. Oh, 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 oh. That doesn't have anything to do with your sin, right? Anything to do with your shame of the gospel of Jesus Christ in front of all those who claim that it is we who made ourselves, not him. And you know, if you know the Bible, that what the Bible says, it is he that made us and not we ourselves. And so somehow academics end up having problems with the first three chapters of Genesis. But it has nothing to do with their sin, right? Are, we, are you with me now? You're with me? In other words, how can you be academically respectable and believe such balderdash as it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves? Remember I said the places we have problems with this book are the places where our hearts are depraved. 
And what is more depraved than an academic saying that he has made himself? And you say, oh, come on, that's not what academics say. What they say is that, that like, Gaia made us. <laughs> you know, Mother Earth, the force of nature, you know, that part of the universe that the scientists in Copenhagen are trying to, to save right now. Mother Earth will stop making us unless we save Mother Earth. So let's set the academic over here for a second. There's a reason he has problems with the first three chapters of Genesis, right? Because ultimately, science has more authority than the Word of God. I mean, let's be, let's be blunt here, okay? And so now let's move over to the woman that starts coming to church here. She's been homeschooled. She's here for about a year. And then all of a sudden, she finds a Russian who's glamorous, an exotic accent. He's an unbeliever. But he's so sexy. And so she starts dating this, this exotic creature, you know, and orthodoxy and its icons. And, you know, and he, he doesn't have any personal faith, but the icons are beautiful, you know, and it seems so ancient. Not patriarchal ancient, but ancient. And so she begins to date an unbeliever, and, and all of a sudden, there are all kinds of questions about Scripture, don't you know? And then let's move over here to the, to the man that enjoys being sodomized. And so one day he actually decides that he's going to engage in the thing that he thinks would be pleasant. And all of a sudden, he discovers that Romans chapter 1 is actually not dealing with monogamous unions, covenantal monogamous self-affirming unions between sodomites, but rather the raping of boys in the ancient world. And then there's the wife who discovers that Scripture is, is heinous because it tells her to submit to her husband, and her husband is a complete, complete and utter uh, rotter. You know, he goes out and gets drunk every weekend, takes, goes home with some, some strange flesh while she's home with the children. And that book tells her to submit to her husband. Then there's a pastor who went into the ministry with good intentions and um, he believes in the authority of Scripture. But when he began to try to preach it to actual people, the elders would punish him in the elders' meetings. They would say things like, have been said to me, quote, if you keep preaching that way, how long will do you think we will keep paying you? Close quote. Direct quote, my elders. And I'm telling you, you talk to pastors, every one of them will say, well, of course they say that to you. That's what goes on in elders' meetings. Well, what do you think the purpose of elders' meetings are? And so that pastor all of a sudden has, has problems with submission of wives to husbands. Because, of course, if he preaches submission, then the elders' wives will speak to their husbands, and the husbands will go to the elders' meetings, or in my case, it was actually a woman elder who said that to me. If you keep preaching this way, how long do you think we will continue to pay you? 
you remember what I said? What I said was that all of us have problems with Scripture precisely at the point of our depravity. And so I love the statement by Harry Blemeyers, somebody that was tutored by Lewis, on the other side of the pond, who said, let's be honest. Our problems with Scripture are not all, you know, the numbers and the sequences. Our problems with Scripture, I mean, let's be honest. Our real problem with Scripture, I mean, look, when everything's said and done, the, the, the real place I mean, look, I heard you, and I understand the whole thing about sodomy and, and, and God's fire coming down from heaven. It's difficult. I, and I understand the first three chapters of Genesis. I understand submission. I, but listen, if, let's be honest just for a second. Let's just be purely honest and admit that the real place we have problems with Scripture is where it says, if any man would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's where we have problems. (laughs) It's where I have problems. Am I all alone here? I mean, look, after you get over that one, what's a little Genesis 1 to 3 in creation? (laughs) You know? But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does the Christ mean? The Christ is God's anointed one. God's anointed one. These things are written so that you will believe that Jesus Christ is God's anointed one. And that believing you may have life in his name. In other words... Your spiritual life depends upon your attitude towards the Word of God because you don't know Jesus Christ any other way. And so if you have these precious sins of pride, of lust, of not trusting God with a husband, of of wanting to bend the truth so that you keep your job as a pastor, all these things that try try to wean us from the pure milk of the Word, What the elders want to know is, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? It scares me to think how many people think that they can accept God's anointed one and reject these things that were written so that you can accept God's anointed one and have life in his name. There's so many Christians today who stand in judgment against the word of God. It's so many places. They don't they're not ashamed to attack it to me. They're not ashamed. And I'm supposed to accept that they're Christians. And it's just a collegial disagreement, you know? After all, what's the university about? It's about collegial disagreements. And let's start with the Bible. Some of us believe it and some of us don't. And we're all Christians. And so this is what the elders discuss. 
How much of the Bible can you disbelieve, can you reject, can you rebel against? How much of the Bible can you make fun of? How much of the pure milk of the word can you spit out and regurgitate? And, and can, how much of it can you vomit before maybe there's a reason to question whether you belong to Jesus Christ, who is the word of God incarnate? You know, people... When the Apostle Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time I hear that, every time I think of it, every time I speak it, you know what happens to me? My chest swells. And it has nothing to do with me. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It swells because the Bible is my pride. It swells because God is true, though all men are liars. It swells because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the, 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 the life and the death and the resurrection and the coming again. And I say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the gospel. These few things are written so that you may believe that Christ is the anointed one and believing might have life in his name. You'll continue to be a rebel against your husband. You'll continue to give yourself to sodomy. You'll continue to be a greedy man. You'll continue to reject the creation of Adam and Eve. And then you'll tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ? You don't believe in Jesus Christ. If your heart rejects the Word of God, you don't know Jesus Christ. You are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. Do you understand this? Because a Christian loves the Word of God. He loves it. It's honey to him. It's milk. Can you imagine a little bird sitting in the nest and the mother or father comes back with the worm and the little bird goes from this, right? Watch. From this to... The only reason the bird would do that is because he recognized that it's actually an eagle. And it's coming to kill him. A bird would be incapable of shutting its mouth and turning its face around from its mother or father bringing it food. And this is what this book is. This book is God's bread. This book is never to be attacked. In this church, you won't do it. You will not do it. I will not stand for it. will not stand for it. Why? Because I'm an angry man? No, actually, actually, trust me, I'm actually a very integrated and evolved man. Come on, laugh. In other words, it's not about me, people. It's because I am not ashamed of the gospel. This book is true, though all men are liars. So it comes out at some university, some environmental institute, that like they're playing games, the academics. Can you believe it? I'm just amazed. It just flabbergasts me. You know, the academics are playing games. Can you believe that? Listen, I've been in the Evangelical Theological Society. I've been a member. And in the Evangelical Theological Society, they play games. 
The men whose entire academic career is taken up with the word of God, they play games. They have little political machinations, and these people don't like those people. It's all junior high school playground stuff. That's why G.K. Chesterton says, in scholarship, all the talk of what is latest is merely a giggling excitement over fashion. Okay? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because... When that book opens, it diagnoses me perfectly. I can go to Lawrence Howell with my teeth. I can take my body to Adam, and it's a guessing game. Okay? Read the book, Mortal Essence. Mortal Essence. Notes on the art of surgery. Medicine is an art. It's not a science. And if you find yourself in a science, you'll find that a science is the giggling excitement over fashion. I've lived long enough to remember Paul Ehrlich and how we were going to have mass starvation late 80s, early 90s, and then all of a sudden the Green Revolution hit. (laughs) And those of you who are too young to remember this, but some remember it, right? You remember them saying, mass starvation. Come on, put your hands up. They told us we'd have mass starvation. And then God made man with unbelievable ingenuity. And all of a sudden, something that was incomprehensible happened. Namely, China and India became self-sufficient with food. (laughs) Who would ever have thunk it? Mass starvation. And then the Green Revolution hit. Listen. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've taken the same classes you've taken. I was an environmentalist. Why do you think I drove a diesel rabbit? I was against nuclear energy. It's the half-life of plutonium. I can tell you all the stories. I read Barry Commoner. Any of you remember Barry Commoner? You know? And here we are today, all of us intimidated into not having children because after all, we've got like this huge problem of anthropomorphic, anthropogenetic, anthro, you know, who knows what it's going to be tomorrow. But anyhow, warming. And people, these things are written so that you can believe in Christ, God's anointed one, and that believing you may have life in his name. Right? You just heard that, right? Right? But you know what life is. It's like sort of cosmic. It's like, you know, holistic. You know, like I can finally get a hairstyle that suits me. Right? I'll have life in his name. You can like go to a hairstylist that has a little fish in the front window. And then she like is like integrated and knows what will make my body. And she like has the color thing down and... You know, and I'll have life in his name because there will be a fish on the front and I'll go in and she'll finally get my hair right and I won't have to cry in front of my husband when I get home. (laughs) This is the voice of experience. (laughs) And that believing you might have life in his name. But we've got like... Man produced global warming, and we can't be fruitful and multiply. You know, fight global warming, have an abortion. Did you see that t shirt 
up on the web? Fight global warming on a woman's breasts written. Fight global warming, have an abortion. Well, okay, I mean, that's twisted. None of us would wear a T-shirt like that. So what we do is we get married and we have one child. Because we want to fight global warming and the earth needs to be saved. Because the real problem in the world today is that the earth is warming, right? But the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. But the global warming people have told us we've already filled the earth, right? Now listen to me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. If the Bible on the one hand tells me be fruitful and multiply, in other words, when I make love with my wife, be fruitful. If that's what the Bible commands multiple times, it tells me to fill the earth I'm not going to turn and give authority to the scientists to tell me not to be fruitful and multiply because the earth is filled. Do you understand this? In other words, this book is not simply Grimm's fairy tales where you can take a moral if you happen to catch it. This book is specific. It has subjects. It has verbs. It has pronouns. It has ands and buts and withs. It has specific commands. It has specific names. Adam, Eve. It has an order of the creation of Adam and Eve. Do you understand this? And everything in the Bible has meaning. Everything. Because everything is inspired by God. And inspired has meaning. The Greek is theopneustos. Now you know what neustos is because you, you know what pneumonia is. Or a pneumatic host. A pneumatic host carries breath. So if it's theo, and theology is a study of God. So if theopneustos, all scripture is theopneustos, right? All scripture is God breathed all then that means that the precise point that you reject this book is the precise point where you are ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ because all scriptures god breathed so just part you can't open it up and say well i'll have adam and eve but not the order of the creation of adam and eve or not the logical consequences of the order of creation, or not that nasty Paul telling me what the logical consequences of Adam and Eve is. You know, I'm a picker and a chooser. My mummy let me do that with my food. (laughs) Come on. I've been there. I've done that. And that's not what it means to be a Christian. Christians tip their heads back and they're completely trusting of God and they open their mouths wide. And the Bible says that God's a good father. The Bible says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, the Bible says, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to like dump a stone on him? You know, mouth back, head wide open. 
funny father takes a stone, rams it down his son's mouth, breaks all the teeth off. And what God says is, if you being evil, which is the condition of every father here, being evil, present participle, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And where does the Holy Spirit come to you? The Holy Spirit comes to you in the Word of God because all Scripture is God-breathed. This book is God's Word. And it's been written so that you may believe that Jesus is God's anointed one in believing you might have life. And having life involves having babies. How do I get this through your brains? It's not like some cosmic truth that has no concrete application. It means that you are godly if you desire to give birth to children who will belong to God. Because in Malachi it says that he's made you one, husband and wife, for the propagation of a godly seed. Do you think it's cosmic? Do you think it's talking about burpee seed catalog? Now listen, I don't give a rip how many children you have. Don't come to me and ask me if you should use birth control. I don't give a rip. It just doesn't matter to me. What I'm trying to do is find every unbelief in your life that I can meddle with and show you whether or not you believe the Bible or you believe all the liars. Who do you believe? I'm trying to find out whether you find this sweet like honey. I'm trying to find out whether you drink it like milk. What's your posture towards the Word of God? What is your posture? How, how do you come to this? And you say, well, I don't have any problem coming to this in devotional life. But it's when you preach it that I really have problems with it. And I say, God has set apart certain men by the laying on of hands in prayer to preach this Word to you. Do you realize that across history... The experience of most people has been that they only get the word from the mouth of a fallen man. You think back in the time of the Reformation, walking around with a Bible in their hands? Do you realize that it's your privilege to have me preach to you? Because it humbles you. Because you have to accept the word of God from a fallen man. And that's God's intent. He could have sent you angels. He could have spoken to you directly. Do you think you want God to speak to you directly? Is there one of you here who thinks that you want God to speak to you directly? You may think so, but I promise you, you don't want it. Because the Israelites had something approximating it, which was Moses having been in the presence of God. Do you remember what they did? They said to Moses... Put a veil over your face. We cannot handle your face. This book. This book is either your milk or your honey. It tastes sweet as honey, and it tastes sweet as honey, particularly when it is a hammer and a rock in your heart. 
It smashes your pride. It smashes your idols. It smashes your sins. Or you don't know Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, the Logos, that's the Greek word, Logos. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. And then do you know what it says? It says, what? It says, and the light, what? The light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehendeth it not. Think about that. This time, just this once, I think I need a cup of water. (coughs) Yeah, there's some in here. Ah. Thank you. And so we have the statement of God's word that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. And it's still going on today. And some of you have dark hearts and you don't comprehend the Word of God. And some of you, the Holy Spirit's worked on your heart and you comprehend. In other words, you get it. You know what I mean? You get it. I get it. Thick-headed me, I get it. Finally, I get it. Jesus came so that you can have life. And yeah, I'm not just talking about babies. I'm talking about so that your heart is lively. So many of you have spent most of your life killing your heart. You don't even hope anymore. To you, the place of greatest joy is the bars. It's stoned. It's drunk. It's reading manga, you know. It's like soap operas. What an utterly pathetic and dry and parsimonious and stingy and sterile and ugly existence you have. But all of a sudden... When you come to Christ and he gives you new birth because you recognize him as God's anointed one and you receive his blood and it cleanses you, all of a sudden, guess what? You're unbelievably lively. You know the expression, he's a real live wire? Every Christian is a real live wire. That's why the world hates us because we're always causing problems because we're live wires, you know, like a little two-year-old, like, you know, leave him alone for a second And the whole house is bedlam. That's what Christians are. You know, there's a reason why universities hate Christians. We're real live wires. We ask all the inconvenient questions. 
we argue at all the inappropriate times, and then at the front of our dissertations, on the dedication page, it says, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Come on, do it. Come on. I've had one man do it. I want more. (laughs) Do it. You know, stand up right before your final, you know, doctoral recital and say, before we begin, I would like to give glory to my Savior and King Jesus Christ who bought me from my sin, who lifted me up out of the pit into which I had sung, who gave me new life, who gave me forgiveness for my wretchedness. And so this is dedicated to him. Isn't it amazing that Bach, who is performed incessantly at the music school, could have written that at the beginning of every composition he did, and not one Christian could ever do it? I mean, come on, you guys. Come on. This is like not hypothetical construct. I'm actually challenging you to glorify Jesus Christ at IU. Can you do it? Or Okay, I'm done. And I haven't gotten to the text. Remember, I, did you see my face? I, I gave that like little thing at the beginning of this. I knew I was headed off. And Carol, this one time I have never come back. <laughs> I don't even care where I was headed, but if you want to read it, it's all here in a manuscript. Yeah, there's always next week. I could give you it next week. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what logos means next week. I'll quote I'll quote like Greek philosophers to you. Plato, would you like to come back for some Plato? Not Play-Doh, Jimmy. I will in the in in the sermon it does talk about Legos. It honestly it does. Would you like it next week? Okay. All humor aside, Let me make one thing clear before we end. I have no objection to you asking questions about the Word of God. None. I have many questions myself. I have no question with you coming to me and saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I have no questions, no problems with you praying that to God. I don't want to demonize doubt. I don't want to demonize struggles. Faith is difficult. But if you belong to God, the posture in which you ask those questions is everything because the posture, the attitude indicates either life or death. Do you understand that? You come saying, this book is precious, it's honey, it's milk, but help me. That's perfectly acceptable. You come and say, I can't believe in creation. Look at, car- you know, look at carbon dating, you know? That's acceptable. But you come and say, you expect me to believe that baloney? I remember geez, probably the most respected biblical scholar in America today. I'm on the phone with him one day. 
and I mean evangelical, the most respected evangelical scholar in the United States today. And I'm on the phone with him. And I'm talking to him about the way that the Old Testament constantly names the race Adam. Adam. doesn't name it Adam-Eve. It doesn't name it Eve. And it doesn't have some it, you know. It names the race constantly in the Old Testament Adam, which is Hebrew for Adam. It names it by the man. All right, And I'm talking to him about this and about the fact that all the Bibles are, are, are tearing that out. They're getting rid of it. They're silencing it. They're bodlerizing it. They're deleting it. They're getting rid of it. And we all know why. Because women don't like to be referred to as men today. And so the, the most respected scholar in America today in Bible among evangelicals, the most respected man, I'm saying to him, but, you know, sir, you know, But, sir, and here's what he said. He said, as as one of the few men today who is still occasionally going on to university campuses to preach the gospel, I can't use that construction. I would be laughed off the platforms. That's a direct quote. That's a direct quote. (laughs) And of course, he is on a seminary campus that isn't even close to any secular university. (laughs) Everybody there believes in inerrancy. He's safe! And I was here! And he had the audacity to say that to me. Another professor on that same campus explained to me that he couldn't stand too boldly for the authority of Scripture because there were other men on his hallway who didn't accept what he was saying. And collegial relationships would decompose if he took too strong a stand. And I go home to my family that publishes the New Living Translation. (laughs) And we have family reunions. And he's concerned about his hallway. Listen, people, this book belongs to God. It does not belong to Tyndale House. It does not belong to the Evangelical Theological Society. It doesn't belong to the Religious Studies Department. And it doesn't belong to me. And either I'm faithful with this book or I'm not. And if I'm not, kick me out. Kick me out. Because this is the milk of the Word of God. It's the honey. It's sweeter than life itself. This is where you learn about Jesus Christ. And if your attitude towards this, posture, your general demeanor, your basic orientation to this book is that you'll go along with it insofar as you won't get laughed off the platforms of research institutions, then I don't believe you know Jesus Christ. you got to love the book. Okay, I said I'd stop. I'll stop. This time I really will stop. Let's pray.